We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed of to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Welcome to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. You can follow the show at BuzzBeatPod on Twitter. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Brian here on Twitter Spaces following this depressing game between the Heat and the Hornets. If the Hornets had won tonight, they would have jumped up to the eighth seed, uh, and now they're in the tenth seed after this loss. Before we get into our conversation on this game, the best way to support us is through a rating and review on Apple Podcast. And as always, if anyone here in Spaces would like to speak on the Hornets or has a question, we'll probably have time for that as well as we get going. BG, how's it going? I'm sure the uh, the Final Four was like heaven for you with Duke and Carolina in it. <laughs> yeah, it made it it made it fun. Just had to have the ACC play play deep into the tournament have that, you know, sort of historical Final Four matchup of Duke and UNC, and that game was an all-timer. And then I don't know if Kansas and UNC was like the cleanest game for a title matchup, but uh, certainly competitive, up and down, certainly like a, a you know enough sort of drama to make it uh, compelling. And, and actually, I, I, I also thought – some of the X and O's from last night with Kansas City were, were pretty interesting. I thought both coaches and, and teams were kind of on their game, even if the shots weren't weren't falling. But yeah, now it's like uh, this is like kind of my, I'll be honest, with you, this is like kind of my favorite time of the year for basketball, even though it, it is a little bit of a, a bummer at A to see the Hornets kind of fading a little bit here, but also yeah. to to not have live college games is a bit of a bummer, but. You know, I kind of like being able to focus in on the playoffs and the draft a little bit and transfer portal for college basketball. And there's just sort of like less day to day like games to watch and keep up with, which which makes things a little bit easier. But there's still a lot of stuff to like write about, talk about still tons of NBA games to watch. So, yeah, fun, fun March Madness. 
And uh, yeah, certainly made made it interesting to have Duke and UNC actually playing in the Final Four. That was crazy. Why did the national championship game have to start at nine twenty? Like, I they don't they don't care about the East Coast. They don't care about the East it, Coast. It does that every year. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a weird it's a weird thing to do. Um, and I mean, I guess you're trying to loop in the the West Coast uh, yeah. time zone, and this apparently did set. Because it was on, I guess it was on TBS, right? Not Correct. CBS. It set like a cable, televised cable record for you know most people to watch a live sporting event or something like that. I don't. I don't most people don't care about those numbers, but um, they're for like they're for like TV executives. Who cares? Yeah, I, I mean that, that's going to be a nine o'clock start every year. Yeah. What is a little like I watched the finals for the. I watched UConn South Carolina finals for the women's uh, NCAA championship. That was a game that was like supposed to start at eight o'clock Sunday night. And it was like eight 20 when the ball was tipped off. And I was like, Oh my God, come on. Like, can we please get this started here? But uh, yeah, late start. Did you actually sit, did you watch the first half or? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I watched the game? first, I watched the first half. My wife is a UNC fan. So she stayed up for it all. And uh, I heard mm-hmm. her make some kind of like moan, moan when she came back into the bed, like complaining about, oh my gosh, like something. I, I, but I was, you know, I was asleep. I had no idea who won the game until I woke up. So yeah. All right. Let's get into the Hornets game as to why many people are showing up for this Twitter spaces. Final score, 144, 115 in the favor of Miami Heat. Uh, we'll start with kind of like general thoughts of this game and kind of go from there. I thought the offensive rebounding once again uh, by the opponents was a factor uh, in the win for Miami. I thought the foul trouble for Charlotte early on was an issue to start the game. And speaking of fouls, what what is it with Miami and them just getting all these favorable whistles? That Golton, yeah, I mean that Golton call on Miles was ridiculous, and yeah. it being called by the official who's like thirty feet away from the basket really wasn't the, a good on yeah. the opposite side of the rim too. Yeah, so yeah, it was, he's being it was an incredible call. It's just an incredible, but you know that's that's what's so funny about that one. Is it's like you have to like really like step out of line to make that call. Then you got it wrong. It was, I don't know, man, it's, it's far from the course though. And every time the Hornets match up with this team though, like there's just going to be a half dozen whistles that, yeah, they're just not going to go Charlotte's way. They're a frustrating team to play with to begin with because of the pace that they play at the defense, just swallowing up um, the Hornets. And then when you have the whistles that go their way as well, I thought the uh, the call the, the IT call like after the review oh, like yeah like I still didn't yeah. think that was a foul I'm, I'm not I'm not sure where the foul occurred like on his elbow yeah. like I'm not sure it was it, it was just again it was fitting that there were two fouls reviewed in this game <laughs> one was a block charge on on Jimmy Butler and Kelly Uber that was initially whistled a charge and then was flipped to a a, a, a block and then yeah the the Jimmy Butler IT exchange that was reviewed. And the call was just confirmed for Jimmy Butler to drift his way into yet more free throws. It was all, I mean, it was funny that like those, the only, like the probably two or three times tonight were like a whistle maybe didn't quite go in in favor of the heat. It was like the calls got reversed or like were confirmed on the court. And then there was the one time where like uh, late in the game where Bridges caught the ball in the dunker spot, went up to, to flush it. And Yurtsevin fouled him and then like got like definitely got a piece of the ball, but also like hacked him on the arm and the elbow on the way up. And like, he was mad about it. And then 
like got taken out of the game after that exchange to a standing ovation by the crowd. It was like, you know, uh, cheering for him that, that like, how dare the refs uh, perhaps make one call uh, not, not in our favor here uh, at our, you know, FTX arena or whatever. So I don't know, frustrating game. We can, we can move on from the refs. They're not why Charlotte lost this game by any stretch. Let's start with, I would like to start with what I thought was some of the good stuff. And then we can, we can, we can then uh, swim into the depressing uh, pretty quickly after that. Um, and maybe make a couple other just sort of like uh, observations um, while we're uh, on here. But the good, it has to start with Miles Bridges, man. Yep. Incredible. And I'm sure you've got some stuff to, to add in here on Bridges, but just 11 of 16 from the field, 29 points, three of five from deep, four or five from the line, four assists, steal, six boards. And just like the artistry with some of these finishes that Bridges had in this game, uh, jumping off either foot, finishing with either hand, powering through Bam Adebayo, finishing around Jimmy Butler, finishing through contact. I just... His body control, his creativity, the ambidextrous nature of his finishing package, um, and just how that also plays with the whatever leg that he's actually taking off from the floor, and then certainly the the, the vertical uh, burst is just—it's an incredible, an incredible skill set, and he's kind of got it all. Like in terms of like the finishing package, like what what can that guy do? Um, he has touch, he has power, he has strength. Mm-hmm. And, and again, there, there's just no limits to him inside of like eight feet. And yeah, he had some like tough shots in this game too, where he couldn't quite get all the way to the rim. And, uh, he was still able to, um, he was still able to, to actually finish it and, and, or get to the free throw line. And I'm sure you, you probably have some stuff on, on bridges. Anything you want to mention that I've got a little bit more good, uh, from this game to get to like you mentioned, like just amazing bully ball drives from him. And uh, that's something that we've seen more frequently this year. He even did one, I think you mentioned against Bam early on. And considering that Bam is going to be in contention to win the defensive player of the year award, uh, that makes it even more impressive. And uh, you just saw him, like you said, score in a variety of ways in the second half and the third quarter, especially was his best quarter of the game. And I think this is something that's not necessarily like quantifiable, but I think when you see, bridges play with aggressiveness it comes off as if he's trying to like will his teammates to kind of up their attitude and up their effort as well and i think just at least from an observer's perspective like that looks good like from from my point of view maybe you can take it that he's trying to get his you know his own points or something like that but i just wish i would see a little bit more of like that outward emotion from from more players like bridges yeah. uh, because a lot of them have that kind of lackadaisical laid back attitude which is i think there 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 does need to be some players on the roster that have more of that like calming presence but it would be nice to see more players like bridges kind of show that aggressiveness and like i said it's, it's not something that you can kind of quantify but i do see that out of bridges yeah, no, he, he brings yeah, – like, I am kind of excited as as Charlotte uh, builds this thing up around LaMelo and Miles, the team t- sort of taking on a little bit more of his personality. Um, I think that would be a, a positive thing. He's like – you know, Bridges is one of those guys who – he's not without mistakes. Like, he even – I think he was either – I'd have to rewatch it. Even tonight, one of the threes that – Robinson hit Duncan Robinson hit was like, you know, Rosier and Bridges got caught 
maybe in between a switch or a rotation and it led to a wide open three. Um, so like Bridges makes, makes mistakes defensively and he go, he can go through prolonged shooting slumps, but that that's just never affects his energy level. He brings it every night. He's going to try to dunk everything. He's going to try to block everything. He's going to attack downhill. He's going to keep shooting. He'll guard anybody, any matchup you throw at him, he'll go at it. Like he is a totally, totally fearless basketball player. And the fact that he's able to take on this kind of workload, um, this kind of usage, these kinds of like playmaking responsibilities and to keep bringing that edge is, is super impressive. Again, I just, it, it did seem like maybe he was sort of like falling out of the most improved player discussion for the league recently. And like, I just don't, I just don't, I just don't get it. Um, if you, if you tuned out on this team when they were really struggling, struggling in February, like maybe that, that makes sense. But like, he's, this dude's just kept, he's kept pushing um, nonstop. So Bridges was awesome. I thought, you know, LaMelo, pretty good game tonight as well. 18 points, 14 dimes, four three pointers. Overall as a team, Charlotte assisted on 34 of their 54 field goals, which is like pretty good. Um, especially when you consider the the switch efforts of, of Miami, that they were still, I thought like until Miami really went hard on the zone in the second half, like Charlotte did a really nice job kind of bending the defense a little bit and then just whipping the ball into rotation and, and getting to their, their ghost screen game, getting to their handoff action and, and getting that ball popping side to side was like pretty impressive with, with how they moved the ball in general tonight. Um, I thought early on, and I kind of wish they had, I kind of wish they had like gone to this a little bit more. And it makes me wonder if what I was noticing earlier was just sort of random. It wasn't really by design, but it did seem like early on when Bam was in the game, Charlotte was running a lot of stuff to keep Plumlee out of the action. You know what I mean? And so the, the people screening for LaMelo were guards or it was PJ playing the four. And so all of a sudden you're keeping you're keeping Bam out of the switch. And he like, he is the, he is like the preeminent big man switch defender in the NBA. Right. Like, like it's without a doubt it's, it's his, that's what he does best. We talked about Spencer and I talked about this when we recorded after Charlotte lost to Miami back in February, but just like, it's incredible how much he just gums up what, what this team wants to do, what the Hornets wants to do or any team wants to do against Miami. It's just like, yeah, you're going to play deeper into the shot clock. He's going to take your initial stuff away. He's going to close down the middle of the court, and yeah, tough. Like you're going to have to you're going to have to to tinker and and problem solve and and you know because it's just you can't just take him one on one. Bridges can't do that ten times. You know what I mean to like to like punish it. Lamelo can't do it. Terry Rozier can't do it. And so just like yeah, it just it just short circuits some of the stuff Charlotte wants to do and. Again, I would have liked for them to have done, kind of gotten like just isolated and get him out of there. And I know like that, that if you take him out of the action, that allows Bam to go into defensive anchor mode. You know what I mean? To patrol the back line, especially to, when you have Plumley. Who, yeah, especially when you have yeah. Plumley who he's guarding. So like, it, it's one yeah. thing if it's a stretch yeah. five like PJ and yeah. Plumley, you don't need to guard him. You know, unless yeah. it gets close to the basket. Hundred percent. You can see Borrego early on. I feel like they mixed up the rotation a little bit. Like Cody Martin was the first sub you know, four and a half, five minutes into the game. And I think that's usually when you see PJ get subbed out 
but they took Plumlee out then and like pretty, pretty early on went to uh, PJ Washington at the five versus Bam Adebayo. And we did not, by the way, no Montrose Herald tonight, even in garbage time, which I guess is not completely surprising, but you know, we saw a little bit of James book night for the first time in a long time, a little bit of Nick Richards, a little bit of JT Thor. Um, but yeah, no, no Montrose Herald tonight. You know, maybe, maybe Borrego's changing some pieces around with the rotation. Harold was in uniform. Seemingly, he was on the bench. Um, Richie and I were texting during the game. You know, Harold's played only, what, 17 minutes against Philadelphia. So maybe uh, maybe yes. they're trying some stuff with the rotation. Maybe he's on the outside looking in currently. It is interesting for a guy that you uh, flipped a draft pick for during the season. If that guy, you know, six weeks later falls, ten, eight weeks later falls out of your rotation. Um you know, we'll see. It's 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 only been a game, so we'll have to keep an eye on it. I get it, some cost and all, but it would just be a little surprising if if the the Harrell experiment was just like done. I, I can't imagine that it's that it were it's like completely over with now. The, the rotation question or the rotation discussion is kind of an interesting one to me, and I'll, I'll just want to stay on it real quick. Yeah. And Evan, I'll get to you here as a speaker request, but. It's interesting how he's playing about 10, 10 men, right? Like, and, and you're trying yeah. to narrow it down for the play and you're trying to narrow it down for potential playoffs, which I think is slim right now. But regardless, he, he came out with a quote Borrego that is about like, you know, solidifying this quote unquote rotation. Now that Hayward is back. Now, obviously Hayward did not play in this game because of a, I guess a, a sore foot that he irritated uh, after playing in that one game against Philadelphia, but oh boy. There, yeah, there, there's a lot of conversation around Kelly Oubre. There's a lot of conversation around Jalen McDaniels. There's a lot of conversation yeah. like you're mentioning right now about Montrez Harrell. Like there is going to be some players that need to be kind of cut out of the rotation because playing 10 men uh, is, is just too much. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Evan, what do you got for us? Hey guys, tough one tonight. Obviously, there's a lot, a lot on my mind right now. Um, you guys just brought it up. The first thing, well, first of all, I want to say I, I'm in love with Miles Bridges, man. Like I, I thought I was going to name my first kid after Lamelo, but it, it might have to be Miles Bridges. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, he just like what you guys were saying. What can he do? He can he attacks them. He can finish with both hands so so nicely. His bully ball. It's it just—it's been a pleasure to watch him develop and grow into the player that he is. Second of all, on the complete opposite side, I think if Kelly Oubre is on the Hornets next year, I'm going to have to poke my eyeballs out because <laughs> I am—I'm—I'm I'm done with the man. And 
you know, someone put on a Twitter poll today. I don't know who it was. If you have to choose one guy to play in the playoff game, would it be Jalen McDaniels or Kelly Oubre? And convince me right now that it should not that it should be Kelly Oubre because I I know the guy can get hot. I understand that, but he just he doesn't do it for me. He he gets beat back door. He get, he gets such yep. a bad shot. I'm 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 tired of Kelly Oubre. And I, if you would have asked me two weeks ago, I said bye bye Jalen. Like it's, you know, you're a nice developmental story you're, you're a decent player but I, I just I can't bear to watch Kelly Oubre in the playoff game um, and, and that's even the interesting part because you know I, I thought that when, when Borrego said that you know this rotation is going to shrink I assumed that meant Jalen McDaniels and the thing is with Montrez like I, I always thought like he doesn't really have such a spot in this playoff rotation because the game shrinks in the playoffs. And Montrez, mm-hmm. you're not really getting a, 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 a half-court player in Montrez. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm into, I, I was fascinated. I was shocked to see that Montrez didn't play, especially when you know, Plumdog picked up those two early fouls. They brought in Cody Martin, and then they went back to Plumdog in that first quarter. I was, I was pretty shocked to see that. So I'm interested to see what you guys think about, think about Montrez, think about Kelly. And yeah, yeah that's all I got tonight. Yeah, that was me that put out the uh, the Twitter poll about Kelly Oubre. Like, I was talking about this on a couple of podcasts ago where, like, if I was making a prediction as to who Borrego would play more, I think he's going to put out Oubre. But Oubre has not been efficient from behind the arc. He's been a much better driver to the rim than he has been a three-point shooter. And we've all talked about Oubre being this up-and-down roller coaster as a player and right now, like he's not, he's not gone back up and he's kind of stuck in this rut right now where if he's not making his threes, I contemplated, what does he offer better than Jalen McDaniels? Now, Jalen hasn't been playing great either, but I think tonight was probably his best game in a while. And I think he is competing for those play in minutes. If you want to call it that, especially considering with Hayward out tonight with that sore foot, McDaniels played well tonight if I was the coach, I would choose Jalen over Ubre. If I was making a prediction, I would I would thinking that Ubre is going to play more than McDaniel's moving forward. But McDaniel's had a really good steal tonight. I mean, the game was in hand at this point where he kind of doubled on Butler. Brian, you remember that where he yeah, came the, over yeah, doubled early, and, early in the fourth quarter? Yeah. It was a really nice dig, and then a yeah. yeah rip and run for him to get a, a bucket in transition. Yeah, it was like arguably the best defensive play they had all night. Yeah, he took it coast to coast and he finished it between two heat players. So I yep. thought that was good. I, I think I would personally choose McDaniels, but I also feel like Ubre is still going to get the nod. Yeah, I would. I mean, Richie, I, I don't want to uh, copy verbatim what you just said, but I think you nailed it. Like, I if Ubre isn't shooting and hitting his three point shot, he just gives you basically, he's just giving you so little else. Like, there's some, some stuff in transition. There's some of the catch and go drives. If you, if teams actually continue to like honor his shot and like close out hard and Charlotte can help that by just like getting teams in rotation and whipping the ball around, which is something they do pretty well, but he's not giving you the defense point of attack defense, despite having the tools to do it just isn't there. And then again, tonight there was sometime halfway through the second middle of the second quarter tonight. I mean, just, like as bad of like of uh, like a ball watching possession you're going to find defensively in the NBA from a guy that's like you know in year what five six in the NBA it's just like kind of pathetic honestly and you know Miami just just cuts right behind him for a layup piece of cake no big deal it's like 
that kind of stuff. Look, if it was a one-off, Hey man, no problem. If it, if it happened once per game, not great, but you probably live with it. It happens consistently. And that's kind of stuff that you just like, if you're trying to be realistic and look at yourself in the mirror and say, yes, we are a playoff team. It's just like that, that kind of defense is not playable in the postseason. It's just, it's just not. And um, so, yeah, I would certainly play McDaniels above him, but I like you don't think that's what's going to happen. And I think part of that is like, maybe it's a seniority thing. Part of that is it's a, it's a money thing. Like this is a free agent you spent on, um, at least during the regular season, maybe this will shift in the playoffs, but there's going to at least be some type of pressure from the top down to, to play him. I would, I would maybe think or, or guess. And then I guess there is this facet of like one out of every four games, five games, Kelly does get hot from three. Right. And, and that's something that Jalen's not going to do. Um, he's a lower mistake offensive player. He's a lower mistake player on both sides of the court. But maybe if you think like, wow, we need a little more offensive punch and we need a little more shooting, especially when, when Rozier's not out of the court, then maybe that's another way you can justify it. But honestly, like there's no, as far as like two-way like wing play and defense, like no, it's, it's, it's this should be heavily in McDaniel's uh, favor. And yeah, like, like Richie, I think you know about this. Um, cause, cause both of us got mentioned and mentioned as people to talk to about this, but I heard from, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Krishna over at the B-ball index about, yeah. Like sort of trying to project Charlotte's playoff rotation, right? Assuming Hayward does come back. Like if Hayward, if Hayward's like not playing, then I think you can, then you can play both. Right. Then you can play Martin. You can play McDaniels. You can play Oubre. Um, in the you know the one playoff game that Charlotte's in before they lose and end the season, <laughs> but like um, if if Hayward is back, then yeah, you kind of have to make a choice. Cody Martin's definitely playing, like period. Yes. He's in the rotation, yes. period. And so it just yeah, it becomes it becomes McDaniel's or Oubre, which is why this this hypothetical is fascinating. When I was filling that out, I put. I put Kelly Oubre as like the guy that was going to get, you know, X, you know, 15, 20, whatever the leftover like wing minutes were. But the note I left was like, Hey, I'd like to maybe amend this the closer we get to the playoffs. And just saying was sort of like, yeah, it pains me to not put McDaniels in this slot because I think he actually deserves it. And that was like a week ago. And I think we've only had more evidence since then that like, yeah, like if we're if you're if you're trying to be serious about this, and this team desperately needs defense, they need length, they need on ball presence, they need the, the rotations, they need the help defense. Then it, it, like it has to be it has to be McDaniel's. Like know he doesn't have the explosive ceiling scoring of, of Kelly, but like I don't know, man. Just like in a in a one off play in game, like I I don't know if you can even count like count on it, you know. I'd go with I'd go with the the safer the safer pick of uh, of McDaniel's. Yeah. So I don't know, Richie. I, I'm glad you and I are are eye to eye on that. Kelly was really fun for like the first like half of the season, but it is <laughs> just right. not it has just not gone great uh, in recent months. And then I, I mentioned on the previous podcast that he has a uh, partially guaranteed contract over the summer, so that's going to be an interesting decision yep. that they have to yep. face. I think if he had kept up his consistently inconsistent play towards the end of the season. I don't think they would have considered it, but I think the fact that he's kind of on this lull right now, it's going to leave like that recency bias in their mouth and kind of think about that as he, they head towards the off season. He, he's another guy, by the way, like if, 
you know, if the season, if the, if the goals of the franchise were a little different or the season had started out differently as opposed to Charlotte playing pretty, you know, decent ball to start the year, it, it maybe he still could be like a, like that, that contract still could make him like a, a tradable piece. But that's another guy that like they probably could have like sniffed around on the, especially like with how he shot the ball to start the year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, 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 that just like that, that hypothetical was just very much like not in the picture, obviously. Cause was, yeah, was Hayward hurt at that point? At the deadline? I think he was. Yeah, yeah I so think so. It was, it was close it though. It's really yeah. close though. Yeah, it, it, uh, it is what it is. So anyways, do we have a, we got one more speaker. Uh, Maxton, go ahead. Hey guys, first and foremost, thank you for letting us, uh, let me speak. And also thank you for the material. I mean, the podcast, I'm sorry. I think it's time to have a conversation about JB. I do want to know if y'all can remember or if we know how many years is on his extension and what do you think are the chances of him probably staying? Um, with that, with a caveat being that everybody knows this is a 500 team. I know some people believe this is a way above 500 and some people believe that we're a couple of games below 500, but ultimately we're a 500 team. Do you think this will help us long-term? Do you think he he get another year or what do you think is going to come? It's a good question about the extension. I'm not sure exactly when his contract runs up. But Brian, if you know those numbers, if you can find it, that'd be great. So he was extended last August, but I can't find it. Yeah, like the, per the release I'm looking at it on NBA.com, uh, according to team policy, uh, details of the extension were not disclosed. But yeah, this is from last August. So this is you know seven months ago, basically. Eight months yeah, ago. I mean, yeah, they, they are a 500 team. I, I predicted the team to go 40 and 42. So if they lose the remaining three games here, I will be correct. But um, I, I think the goal for this team is to make it into the playoffs this year. I would not consider it a success if they just make it to the play-in and they never make it as the eighth seed or the seventh seed. Having said that, if they don't do that, I, I do think that Borrego will be back next season. I just think that his leash will definitely be shorter. And I don't and I don't think it's a bad conversation to have about Borrego. Um, I think that most of us here on the podcast have been somewhat supportive of him. I, I think you can talk about the defense not improving. You can talk about the defensive rebounding not improving. We saw that again tonight with the Heat. I think at some point the conversation has to shift from player development to actually producing a winning basketball team. And I think the conversation too, though, has to be centered around Mitch Kupchak because he's always said that he's taking this patient approach. You know, the only move that he's made, I feel like that he's made that has really kind of progressed this player development timeline a little bit has been the Gordon Hayward signing. But other than that, he is taking a patient approach and he's not going to put his all eggs in kind of one basket of pushing for the playoffs. And he said as much. So I do think that the front office believes in JB as this player development coach, but I know that the fans are kind of getting frustrated because of the way that the Hornets play. They'll go on these streaks, Brian, and you'll, you'll feel like, okay, wow, this team could be a sixth seed in the East. And then they'll go on these streaks where it feels like they're like an 11th seed or 12th seed in the East. So I don't know where your kind of uh, evaluation comes with Borrego, but I do think he'll be back next season, regardless of kind of what happens in the play in. But I do think that that leash does need to be shorter. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, look, nothing would surprise me like if the Hornets brought James Borrego back, if they decided to move off from him, neither would surprise me to be clear. But 
they did just extend him less than a year ago. And I know that doesn't mean, I know that doesn't mean everything. You know, I, I get it. You can always, you can, you can always make the numbers work and yeah, they could just decide like, this is if Charlotte gets the 10th seed and then, you know, loses to Atlanta or whatever in the playing game and that ends the season, then maybe they will take a little bit of a harder look at, at like where they are in terms of coaching. I do think the Rozier extension falls in line with that's sort true. of like a, as one of the other moves they made that sort of like accelerated things. And yeah, I think for the most part, they've taken like a relatively patient approach and they've tried to have their eyes on, you know, what it's going to look like X number of years from now around LaMelo. And I think Bridges has certainly been moved into that, that, that fold. And that's like not even new development. We've been there for probably a, a, a while now, a year, maybe half a year, whatever. But it is tough though, when you were trying to wear, when you're trying to do two different things at the same time, without sort of like having like a surplus of assets. So Charlotte for the most part controls their stuff. And now they're probably going to be out this first round pick at some point in time that they used to get back into the 2021 first round and draft Kai Jones, um, which I believe Atlanta now controls the rights to that pick. Uh, if and when it does convey uh, via the, the Cam Reddish trade from sending him from Atlanta to, to New York city for the to play for the Knicks, and so it's just tough because like you're trying to you're trying to if you're trying to make the playoffs, you're you know, you're putting pieces that are theoretically gonna help you win now and and, and make make a run. And, and I do think, like we've talked about this, I think there were reasons why it made some sense to to bring in Gordon Hayward. I, I wouldn't have done it, but I kind of got what they did it for I kind of got what they wanted from it from both like a, a win now standpoint, but also like a development standpoint. Lamelo, unfortunately, Gordon has missed so much time now with injuries. The Rozier extension made a little less sense to me, other than especially because uh, you could have extended him during the season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Rozier's been all like he's been awesome this year. It's just sort of like what is what does a Rozier Lamelo backcourt look like? You know what I mean? It's it, that's not even like a knock on Terry. Like he's a bona fide NBA shooting guard. Like the dude is a sniper. But it's 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 the defense. It's the way he compliments Lamelo. It's like that's the stuff you really gotta look into. I get that those guys are those guys are buddies, and, and you, you're trying to take care of your, a player. Like you you consider Rozier one of your guys, and so you want to take care of him. Like I get all of that, but from an on court standpoint, I, I thought it was um, I don't know. I thought it was a little a little dicey. So the, the, this is a long point for me to say. <laughs> I don't think James Rago's been given like the best ingredients to make this work either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's been given, he's been given some good stuff to cook with to, to, to draw this food analogy, but like, I don't think all of the, like the ingredients like necessarily fit together and you're missing some pretty important, like foundational stuff. Like he has just not been given a roster that's suited to play defense. Like there's a reason why they have to play so much zone, why they've got to try to switch stuff up and why it can only work for these spurts of time when like, I don't know, probably they force a little bit more turnovers or they get some more shooting luck or they play a bunch of teams that aren't trying to hit the offensive glass or whatever it is. Like I, I haven't not like figured that out quite yet, but just like you just can't rely on the defense at all. It never have been able to, and other than Bridges and you know Lamelo to an extent, like no one else really gets to the rim, and they don't have a lob guy to maximize Lamelo. It's just like I don't know, like what this is a team that probably like 
shouldn't have been going for the playoffs in 2021 and then the 2022. And I get why they did it. They, they just, there was no, there was so little tolerance for, for another year of, of, of pain, right. Of bottoming out and, and hopefully getting a top, whatever pick. So it is what it is. So I don't know. I, I, I think you're right on Borrego. And then like one of, one of my knocks on him has been lineup configuration and Let's just say, like, if the decision is to like keep Kelly Oubre in the if they if they make a postseason run somehow, if the decision is to keep Kelly Oubre in the rotation in lieu of Jalen McDaniels, then yeah, I'll be like uh, that. Probably won't be like a, a point for James Borrego. You know what I mean? But right. overall, you're right. If you want to like characterize my evaluation of James Borrego, it's been like it has been mostly positive. And I think he is a creative after timeout play designer. I think he has built uh, some interesting culture in Charlotte. I think guys have developed for the most part pretty well underneath him. Uh, Bridges is the big success, obviously, but even maybe Rozier, PJ to other extents. But you kind of got to start seeing some, like, can he elevate the pieces on the roster? And right now, it it doesn't seem like that's necessarily the case, but. I don't know. He's also had to do all of this last two seasons with like a, a, you know, a 19 and 20 year old point guard, you know? So it's just like, it's as good as LaMelo is that probably makes things like a little bit tougher. He doesn't have, you know, Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry to like turn it over and and be the, be the point guard and like a coach on the floor or whatever. So I don't know. I think you're right, Richie though. I, I think he'll be back next year. But if they let's just say they they re, like did a, had a repeat of this next season, there yeah. wasn't some sort of like noticeable jump. Right. Then my guess is that yeah, Charlotte in twenty twenty three would be looking for a, a new head coach. But I, I don't think it's quite over yet. Yeah, I don't disagree with that last statement you just made. So I, I think that the short leash coming up until next season, if they end up you know forty and forty two, forty one and forty one next year, I, I don't think he'll be back. And that's just the nature of the business here. So. Just to give somewhat of good news here, uh, right now Brooklyn's forty-one and thirty-eight. Atlanta is forty-one and thirty-eight. The hope for Charlotte to finish in the eighth seed is for Charlotte to finish two and one, and have both of those teams finish one and two. That would create a three-way tie at forty-two and forty. The problem becomes the Nets' remaining schedule are the Knicks, Cleveland, and the Pacers, I believe. And then those are all wins, man. Yeah. So that's, I mean, Cleveland's kind of slipping right now, but anyway, the Hornets have the, by the way, by the way, it's, it's a bummer to see what's happened to Cleveland down the stretch here, which is like, they clearly hit on a good thing and just like injuries have just done them them in this year. But yeah, sorry, sorry. I should have interrupted you there. No, but the, the, but the Hawks could very well finish one and two, uh, having the heat again uh, on the schedule for them. They do have the Rockets and the, uh, Wizards as well. The Hornets have the Wizards, the Bulls, and the Magic. I listed those in reverse order of the schedule. And so, it, you know, if you think they're going to go two and one, obviously it would be those mat that Magic game and the Wizards game. Yeah. Although I, I don't, I don't what, know. no no Lonzo Ball for Chicago. Yeah, that's yeah, true. The, that's true. The Bulls are still talented and, and they're 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 like obviously playing for like seeding their seeding lives right now too. But yeah. Unfortunately, it looks like Lonzo was probably done for the year. Maybe that was even confirmed by Shams. I, Today, I, can't, I think. can't totally remember. The most interesting about this like situation here is like if, if Charlotte had won tonight versus the Heat, 
they would have been in the eighth spot, but they would not have controlled their destiny in the sense that they needed the Nets to keep pace with them. They only get the eighth seed if they're in a three-way tie with all these teams. Yeah. They can't. They cannot end the season tied with just the Hawks alone because then the Hawks will get over them in terms of seeding purposes because of the divisional record. So that, yeah, that's what's sure. so interesting about this. Like I could see the Hornets... Like, you know, if that would have happened, if they would have won tonight and then somehow the Nets would have lost to like the Cavs and then mm-hmm. the Hawks ended up being tied with the Hornets, then the Hawks would have been propelled to the eight seed. And um, I, I just don't think the Hornets are going to be able to make it to the playoffs if they have to go on back to back road games. Right. Like yeah, I, if they're I, going in as, as the 10th seed, I, I just I can't see it. I can't the, see the, it. The numbers would really be stacked uh, against them in that scenario, like to, to be clear and short of like Hayward you know, finding his stride. It's like, I just don't know if they can hit a level that you could feel good about them. Yeah. Winning too like that. Um, we touched a little bit on the defense, but man, it was super bad tonight. Uh, the heat had 41 points in the second quarter, 42 in the fourth, just, uh, 42 points in the paint for Miami, but they absolutely rained threes (laughs) against the Hornets 23 of 42. So 55% shooting, on super high volume, Duncan Robinson uh, and Tyler Hero coming off the bench to shoot 13 of 11 from beyond the arc. Hero, 6 of 10. Robinson, 7 of 11. And I thought Robinson early on got into a, a like a quick rhythm by just sort of some like weird defensive lapses in these like secondary situations by Charlotte's defense. And then once they got to the handoff game, Charlotte just like can't lock in and that kind of stuff. Like you're all, they're always going to get carved up when teams go split cuts, the teams go to the handoff and look, Miami does that very, very well with, because of Adebayo. Yes. yes. Um, I thought Charlotte started the game like early on. Miami was doing a lot of like pistol action with Gabe Vincent. It was like, okay, could, could you do this like 50 more times, please? It's like, Hornets, they look all right here. Um, and then I thought once they started going to ban in the role, Bam in the handoff game, and then uh, Robinson and Hero come in and start just bombing from deep and just getting constantly good looks. Um, right, like Miami getting into their flow, moving the ball around, handoff, and just not, like not even forcing Miami to like make plays off that advantage, right? Just like the shot just being there. And so I thought that was pretty disappointing, not surprising by any stretch. It's exactly what I would expect to happen. But um, nonetheless, mostly disappointing effort defensively. Like again, Miami shot the you know the leather off the ball, but they got they got. They, I don't think this was like a crazy shot making game for Miami. You know what I mean? Probably. I mean they're not going to shoot fifty five percent on threes or whatever. But this was not like them needing to hit like crazy crazy difficult shots. Do you know what I mean? Like they were they were just getting what they wanted and creating. I just thought consistently good looks time and time again. Um, and so I don't know overall, like no surprise to say the defense was disappointing, but it just, to me, it was happening in this just like overwhelmingly predictable fashion of just like Miami's off ball movement, the handoff actions, just getting like whatever they wanted, like not in Charlotte, not forcing them unless Charlotte was in the zone, Charlotte not forcing them to have to like get into their second and third and fourth reads. Just like, what do you want? You can get it, throw it to Bam, have these guys split, have this guy come off a handoff, and the shot's going to be there. 
It's a big difference between Miami's defense and Charlotte's defense. Miami's defense makes you work for, you know, for 24 it's, seconds. It's incredible, man. It's incredible. And there were several, several yeah. shots that Hornets made that were really late in the shot clock, and it even had a couple of uh, shot clock violations as well. So yep. Hornets, on the other hand, like in transition, like they're not picking up. And I think that that's like you were mentioning, like Robinson and Hero and um, others were just getting fairly uncontested looks just because of breakdowns trying to defend within transition. And that's a... That's a common theme this year. Yeah. You know, and Charlotte did a pretty good job going at Max Struess, but Struess hit, you know, three three-pointers for him tonight. But that was sort of like in the second half, that was where they got a little bit of good offense. was just like picking on, picking at Struess. But, um, yeah, tough. You know, look, it's tough to go into Miami and get a win on the road like that, especially when most of their guys are playing, everyone but, you know, Kyle Lowry. Uh, you know, look, Charlotte's got to take care of business here down the stretch, like no slip ups. Yeah. Just hopefully they can get a little bit of luck as far as some of these yeah. other teams in the playing scenario go. Um, but yeah, this is like trending in the wrong, you know, it has been for some time now, yeah. other than maybe some like brief intervals of, uh, of things maybe seemingly breaking their, their way. But yeah, they, they seem, I don't know, like I'll be surprised they end up, you know, not in the 10th spot. So I hope I'm wrong about that, but not feeling good at the, at the moment. Currently. It's funny. It's funny when we think of the heat and we think of Kyle Lowry, who you just mentioned, I think of that two point shot that counted as a three point shot earlier in the season and how that game could loom Incredible. large. Yeah. Some of these tiebreaker situations. So we can yeah. be looking back on that game and that game went to like double overtime when it shouldn't have, but uh, yeah. Yeah. we, we yeah. will see. So we're going to go ahead and wrap here, guys. If you guys tuned in late here on Twitter spaces, we will have the full podcast out tomorrow. And as always, give us a rating and review on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Go ahead and subscribe as well so you guys get those episodes the minute that they come out. Uh, That's the best way to help us. So we appreciate y'all and have a good one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.